0: Hi and welcome to Follow Baptist Church's weekly message podcast. My name's Luke Williams and I'm the lead pastor and we're thrilled to have you joining us. We hope the message today inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for his glory. Here's the message.
1: Today's Bible reading is from Ephesians 3, 14 to 21. It's a prayer for the Ephesians. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of god now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us to him be glory in the church and in christ jesus throughout all generations for ever and ever amen
0: one most embarrassing sporting mishap happened on the cricket field one day i was fielding all the way out in the outfield when the batsman skied a ball in my direction I did what you're supposed to do in that situation. I ran towards the ball as fast as I can, saying, mine, mine, mine. Unfortunately, at the same time, one of my teammates was also running towards the ball, looking to take the catch. But he wasn't saying anything at all. I arrived a split second before him, and I took the catch only for him to collide into me. And the embarrassing part is this. He ended up with a huge headache. I ended up unconscious in the outfield. The only saving grace that day was that I held the catch. I didn't know it at the time, but my hand ended up cupped like this on the ground with the ball just resting inside my hand. While that meant the batsman was out because I didn't drop the ball, it was also true that I hadn't fully grasped it either. As I reflected on this week's passage from Ephesians 3, my mind went back to that moment in time because I believe that many Christians are a little bit like that catch. When they receive Jesus in their life, it's like they caught a vision of their sin and their need of a saviour, And by faith, they they responded by accepting Jesus' sacrifice for them at the cross. But when it comes to living everyday life, it's like they haven't really grasped the new reality of who they are in Christ. It's almost like they're unconscious to the blessings they have in Him. Maybe if you're honest today, you're one of those Christians that if you really honestly reflect on your faith, you believe in Jesus and yet you've accepted Him, but, well, it doesn't really change or affect your everyday life. If after reflecting on this message you realise that describes you, you need to know that you're selling yourself short of the life that Jesus died for you to live. And I hope today that you're encouraged by Paul's words in Ephesians to step into your new identity in Christ. If you're joining us for the first time in our Ephesians series, today you'll see on the bottom of the screen that our series is called The Blessing in the Blooming. So far in Ephesians, we have seen that we are the forgiven, chosen, redeemed people of God who've been adopted into his household through relationship with Jesus. This has been the glorious good news of the letter to the Ephesians so far. So far, this letter has been a theological masterpiece, describing some of the blessing that is available through a relationship with Jesus. It's a beautiful theological reflection of a new reality. But at the end of chapter 3, while Paul continues theologically, he also reflects pastorally in prayer. And he does it for these people, and you can really sense his passion for the people of God to live into this new life. He's confident that they've got it, but he wants them to make sure that they really get it. You see, when we become followers of Jesus, it's easy to get it in our head, but it's actually more important that we know it in our heart. You see, we have a choice when we accept Jesus. We can choose to keep living from our old sense of identity, and, and that can be positive or it can be negative. Some people get their identity from being a successful business person or a, or a great sports person. But often it's negative. Sometimes people get their sense of identity from you know, their family or what people have said about them or maybe their mistakes or their failures that they keep dredging up all the time and it kind of shapes who they are as a person. Well, when we come to know Jesus, we have the choice to keep living in that identity, or you can leave all that behind and embrace a new reality of who you now are in Christ. Paul, in this letter, is urging the people of God in Ephesus to take the second option. To not just understand who they are in their heads, but to embrace it in their hearts. You see, you need to know who you are. In Christ, if you're going to live out your purpose here on earth, let me say that again. You need to know who you are in Christ if you're going to live out your purpose here on earth. Paul finishes this section of the letter with a heartfelt and in many ways a magnificent prayer that these people he loves with a pastor's heart would embrace who they are in Christ. He doesn't want them to walk in the past, but to embrace who they are in the present as they step into the future. And so in your Bible, it's probably titled, verses 14 to 21, as a prayer for the Ephesians. And it is a prayer for the Ephesians, but that's not entirely accurate, because actually it's a prayer for all of us. Paul prays three specific things for the people of God. Firstly, that they would live from an inner strength that they have by faith. Secondly, that they would grasp the depth of Jesus' love for them. And thirdly, that they would walk in the power of God that has been given to them. These are all part of what verse 16 describes as His glorious riches. You know, when we accept Christ, we actually inherit a whole lot of blessings. There is blessing in the blooming. And I want to illustrate that this morning, hopefully in a way that you can remember it. And I'm going to do that by using this big green tub. And I want you to imagine this morning that God's glorious riches for us are inside this tub. Now, clearly this tub is not big enough to contain all the blessings we have in Christ. But let's just pretend this morning. These are God's glorious riches. And as Christians, we can choose to use the tub, or we can choose to put it kind of at the back of the cupboard and forget it's even there. But either way, it doesn't change the fact that we have it. And so if we choose to use, we can actually access the glorious riches inside at any time in our lives. Paul's prayer is that these people would live a life where they access the glorious riches of God and experience all that they have as they become all they can be in Christ. And so he started by laying down all this great theological truth. And now he pauses, and he pauses to pray. And if I could summarize this prayer, it would simply be this, Lord, help them to get it. Help them to really, really get who they are. And so the first part of his prayer is that he prays that we would embrace our inner strength. And so the first prop in this tub of glorious riches is this, it's a dumbbell. Now, this is my dumbbell. Clearly it's not something I use very often. And if I wanna stop looking like Ant-Man and start looking like the Incredible Hulk, I'm gonna have to start using this a lot more. That's a little shout out to the Marvel fans. But one of the glorious riches you have access to is an inner strength. But the only way you build that inner strength is through exercising the muscle of faith. Verse 14 says this, it says for this reason I kneel before the father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit where in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts how through faith. You know, follow this year we're going through the Bible in 1 year. And if you're going through that program, uh, you would have come to the story of Gideon just a few days ago in the book of Judges. Gideon was the very definition, definition of ordinary. And in his mind, he was capable of very little. He was inherently weak. You see, his identity in life had been shaped by his family tree. He sees his tribe and his clan as the weakest. And when he thinks of himself, he sees his position within that clan as being the least important person or member of his family. That's what Gideon sees of himself. But in Judges chapter 6, the angel of the Lord visited Gideon right there as he's pressing grapes on the wine press in his menial job. And he addresses him with these words. He says, the Lord is with you Mighty warrior. Now I can imagine Gideon, he would have been taken aback by the angel of the Lord being there, but I think he would have been really surprised by the words. He probably looked over his shoulder and thought, well, where is this mighty warrior? Because it certainly isn't me. That idea was so far removed from the way that he saw himself. He saw himself as weak and hopeless. In his mind, he thought that he would never amount to anything. But Gideon was exactly who the angel was addressing. You see, the angel saw him for who he was, and more importantly, on who he could become. But Gideon could only see what he'd always been. So the angel says to him, Gideon, I want you to go and save the entire nation of Israel from their enemies. Gideon, of course, makes every excuse as to why he can't do it. But the Lord simply answered him by saying, I will be with you. Now, to know the end of the story, you'll need to read it in Judges chapter 6 yourself. But as a spoiler alert, I can tell you that God worked through Gideon in incredible ways to bring a stunning victory for God's people. And in the process, he showed him that he was capable of more than he thought. As the Spirit of God came upon him, Gideon accessed a strength beyond his wildest imagination. And I want to say this morning that we're no different We have access to all these glorious riches which sometimes we forget we even have. And one of them is an inner strength given to us by the Holy Spirit and it's accessed by faith as Christ dwells in us. You know, the greatest Disney movie ever put together was The Lion King. I don't think that's even debatable. It was a wonderful movie. But as I think about that movie, I think about my favorite scene. My favorite scene is when Rafiki, the wise mandrel, tells Simba that his father is alive. You probably remember it. He's alive. He's alive. And so Simba runs after him as he leads him down a path. And he takes Simba down to the drinking hole and he tells him to look in at his reflection. And so Simba goes and he looks down with anticipation. But as he's looking down into his reflection, the anticipation fades away and it's replaced with disappointment. He says to Rafiki, that's not my father. That's just my reflection. Rafiki says, no, 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 look hard. And so he looks again. Once again, he sees his reflection. And Rafiki says, you see, he lives in you. All of a sudden, Mufasa's voice comes from heaven and he says, Simba, you've forgotten me. And Simba says, no, father, how could I? And then he delivers what is probably the most powerful line in the whole movie. He says, you've forgotten who you are, so you've forgotten me. You've forgotten who you are, so you've forgotten me. He says, look inside yourself, Simba. You are more than what you've become. You must take up your place in the circle of life. Remember who you are. You are my son. You know, some of us need to hear that voice from heaven this morning, reminding us of, of who we really are, that we are more, so often more than what we've become. We are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. And so I want to encourage you this morning, don't be like Gideon, don't be like Simba, but instead embrace who you really are in Christ. Access that inner strength, which comes by faith. You see, the only way I'm going to build up my physical muscle is exercising at the gym. But the only way I'm going to grow stronger as a Christian is by exercising the muscle of faith. And it's the same for you. You One of the biggest lessons I've learned since we plan to follow is that I'm capable of so much more than I thought I was. I've tried and stepped out in faith and succeeded at things I never thought I could possibly do. How is that possible? Because it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I am more than a conqueror through Christ who gives me strength. Let me tell you this morning, you are stronger than you think. You see, so often we speak words over our own lives and we define ourselves by, you know, being someone who's anxious or you will say, I'm a failure or I'm weak, I can't do it. You might reflect on the words people spoke over your life and even right now you might think, I'm, you know, I'm struggling in isolation. I feel discouraged. I, I feel like I might even give up. I want to tell you this morning, that's your old identity talking. That is a lie of the devil because you are stronger than you think. Because you have an inner strength and resilience. It does not come from yourself, but it's been given to you by God and it's accessed by faith. It's part of your new identity. So embrace it this morning. Embrace your inner strength. Secondly, Paul prays that the people of God would know that they are loved. You know, It's so important to know that you're loved. I wonder if you know how much Jesus loves you. I'm going to reach into the tub of glorious riches. I'm going to pull out our second prop today, and it's this one. This is a photo of Kim and I on our wedding day. And I love this photo because it takes me back. You know, this week has been a great week for us in the household of the Williams because Taylor, our second daughter, announced her engagement to her now-fiancé, Liam Bilson. We are so proud of her and we're so happy for both her and Liam, but I must admit my immediate thought was, you know what, they're too young. And then I look at this photo of Kim and I and I look about 10 years of age and I sort of consider that and I think, yeah, okay, fair point. (laughs) Maybe they're getting married in a few years in just the right time. But you know, I love this photo because it takes me back to our wedding day. And it's a great prop, I think, for this point for a couple of reasons. Firstly, a wedding day is an amazing experience as you commit your life to someone. And as I look at this photo, it reminds me that I am loved by an amazing woman. And it also reminds me that I'm punching well above my weight. But it reminds me of the love that we share. But you know, the second reason this is a helpful prop as we reflect on Jesus' love is that it was taken at the beach. And in the background, you can see the ocean. And the ocean for me is a wonderful visual as I try to understand how much Christ loves me. You know, the waves at the beach are constant and powerful like God's love. No matter what happens in the world, it could be a world war, it could be a famine, it could be coronavirus, but it doesn't matter. The waves keep rolling in. You know, I think the love of God is like that. No matter what happens in our lives, on the very best days when we get everything right, And even on the worst days when everything else falls apart, God's mercies for us are new every morning. And His love keeps flowing constantly into our lives like the waves on the seashore. But I think the ocean is also a great picture as we think of Jesus' love because it's a metaphor that reminds us of of the love of Christ and how incredible it is. You know, I think it's a great metaphor of love because. The ocean is so mysterious and wonderful at the same time. You know, it's, it's deep and it's wide and it's long and it's vast. And under the surface is so much life with creatures, both ones that we've discovered and ones that we'll discover in the future. We're constantly learning about what's happening in the depths of the sea and we will never discover everything that exists under the surface. And I, I really believe that the love of Christ is like that. You'll never reach the end of His love. It's inexhaustible. It's unconditional, and in many ways it's, it's kind of indescribable. And yet Paul prays that these people would fully grasp this incredible love. He says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the full measure The measure of all the fullness of God. John Stott in his commentary on Ephesians says that the love of Christ is broad enough to encompass the whole world. It's long enough to last for all eternity. It's deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner. And it's high enough to exalt him to heaven. While the love of Christ may be impossible to fully explain in words that are sufficient to convey the gravity of it, I think his love can be summed up with one simple arm gesture. Simple for us, but not simple for him. It cost him his life as he stretched out his hands on the cross for us. Jesus loves you so much that he was willing to die in your place. Your sin, he says, I'll take it. Your death penalty, he says, I'll pay it. Why? Because I love you. I loved you before the creation of the world, before you did anything good or bad. And out of my boundless love, I'm willing to sacrifice my life for yours. That's how much I love you. No greater love than this, that someone would lay their life down for their friends. If you have accepted Jesus, you have been rooted and established in his love. But Paul's prayer is that we will fully comprehend it, that we'll be able to fully grasp how stunning his love is for us. His prayer is not just for the Ephesians, it's for them together with all of the Lord's holy people. His prayer is for you. Do you know this morning how much Jesus loves you? I mean, do you really know he loves you this much? The love of Christ is not something we can ever fully appreciate with our heads. It's impossible to completely understand because it surpasses knowledge. Unless, of course, the Spirit, of course the Spirit takes it and reveals it to our hearts. Many of us need an 18-inch theological landslide from our heads to our hearts. Paul prays that we won't just know it a little bit, that we won't just believe in Jesus' love sometimes, but that we would be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. My prayer this morning is that you would know how loved you are by Jesus and that you would grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep His love is for you. Because God's desire for our hearts is that we would be so full of Jesus' radical life-giving love that it would overflow from us to one another and then to the world around us. Paul's prayer is that the people of God would embrace their inner strength, that they would know that they are loved. And finally, he prays that they would live in God's power. So I'm going to reach one more time into our tub of glorious riches and I'm going to bring out this drill. The thing about this drill is that it's got power. It's a power drill. And I recently used this drill to do all sorts of stuff, to build a veranda at our house, to screw a TV to a wall, and to do a bunch of other stuff around the house and the church property that I couldn't have done without the power of this drill. And if at any time this drill isn't doing the job, I can just turn up the level on this drill um, so that it has the power to do what I need it to do. We can access more power at any time, but the truth of the matter is this, that this drill... No matter how powerful it is, it has a power limit. It will encounter jobs that it's not able to do. And if I use this drill for long enough, it'll run out of power completely. God's power is so different to that. It's power without limit. It's a power that can create a universe by speaking the word. It's a power that can part a sea, tame a line, conquer an army, or save a nation. It's a power that can raise people from death to life. And it's a power that lives in us. And so why is it that so often we live like we don't have access to the power of God? Why do we so often live like we have big problems and a little God when the exact opposite is true? We have a big God. And as we focus on his power, the problems of life become smaller, not because they are smaller, but because no matter how big they are, our God is bigger. This week in the BIOY, if you are following on, you would have read the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. And most of you would know the story. At this time of his life, David was a little shepherd boy. And he goes to the battlefield to deliver supplies to his bigger brothers who are enlisted in the army or as soldiers of the army of Israel. And at that time, they were facing a Philistine giant who seemed insurmountable. Goliath was 10 feet tall. And he would come out every morning with his oversized sword and his oversized shield, and he would taunt the people of God. And when he spoke, they were terrified. When David arrived at the battle and he saw what was going on, I absolutely love his attitude. He asked one of the men that was standing around, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You know, the great soldiers of the army didn't see the situation as it really was. They saw a little God and a big problem, but David sees it the opposite way by faith. A big problem, but a bigger God who made the big problem seem smaller in comparison. What are you facing in life right now that has become bigger than it needs to be because you've lost sight of the bigness and the power of God? Verse 20 says, Now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask, dream, or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Once again, this is not just a prayer for the Ephesians. This is a prayer for all generations, including ours. Our generation right now is facing a huge giant. It's called COVID-19. And we are standing on the battlefield, and it would be fair to say that coronavirus is taunting us. It's saying things like, you'll never go back to life again as you know it. Forget the dreams. Forget your future. You'll have no security, no resource. There will be no jobs. Church will never be as good again. People won't want to come back to church on a Sunday. They're too used to watching church with their PJs and their dog on their lap. And so start thinking smaller. Start downsizing your hopes in life. But as we stand on the battlefield facing this giant, we can be terrified at the words we are hearing all around us. Or we can rise up and live in God's power. Because church, God is not the God of lack. He's the God of immeasurably more. He's not the God of loss. He's the God of immeasurably more. He's not the God of limitations. He's the God of immeasurably more. And so it's not time to shrink back. It's time to press in, to come back stronger and to exercise the muscle of faith. One of our follow follow values that you can see on our website is the value of faith. And underneath that value, it says this. It says, we will think big, believe big, and live big because our God is big. Well, guess what? That hasn't changed. Coronavirus has not changed that statement. And the reason why it hasn't changed is because God hasn't changed. Next couple of months, our leadership team will be having a season of prayer and fasting as we reimagine and seek God's heart for the next few years to see his kingdom come and his will be done in and through us. And as we pray and seek him, we're going to remember Paul's prayer that he can do immeasurably more than we could ever hope than we could ever dream, than we could ever imagine. And so if we're dreaming and imagining at this level, he can do immeasurably more. If we're dreaming and hoping at this level, he can do immeasurably more. Our God is the God of the immeasurably more. And our world has gone through a breakdown, but every breakdown is an opportunity to bounce back when God is involved. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians is that they would embrace their inner strength, that they would know that they are deeply loved, and that they would walk in God's power. You know, that's our prayer today as well. It's my prayer for us as a community. And so I'm going to finish with a pastoral prayer. It's not for the people of Ephesus, but it's for the people of Officer, and Pakenham, and Berwick, Beaconsfield, and the southeast of Melbourne, and right around the world, wherever you're watching today. And so as we pray this prayer, it's going to come up on the screen. I want you to make it your prayer. It's a prayer of faith reminding us of who God is. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are in awe of you, and we thank you for all that you have done for us. We praise you that there is blessing in the blooming. Lord, help us to really know who we are in you. We're not who we used to be. We're not yet who we're going to be, but we're on the journey. So Lord, give us the inner strength we need to keep going in every season of life. Help us to grasp your love, the height, the length, the depth, and the width of it in a way that it would change our lives and bring us a security and confidence that only your love can bring. And Lord, we want to walk in your power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And as we pray, help us to remember that you are the God of immeasurably more. You can do more than we could ever ask hope, dream, or imagine. We ask that you forgive us for the times when we struggle to believe or live in the new reality of who we are. Heavenly Father, we embrace our new identity in Christ and as we live as the people of God, may our words and deeds bring you glory in all that we do. Amen. I hope you've been encouraged and inspired by Paul's words to us from Ephesians chapter 3 today. It's one thing to know those words. It's another thing to actually apply those words. Thanks for
1: tuning in to Follow Online. To stay updated, go to follow.church. As the people of God, let's stay connected and follow the words of Jesus to love one another.